Welcome to the Symposium of the Lotus Eaters. Today we're joined by Carl. Hello. And we are going to talk about value pluralism and its difference from value monism. Now, I want to say that I'm not entirely 100% sold on value pluralism, but I do think that it is a very interesting theory and a very helpful theory. Mm -hmm. I definitely side in its favor. But uh, I think that it's a really interesting um, discussion to have and uh, to try and find out what it is. Because I think that one of the major motives for this theory is that it shows us how we can have a much more uh, complex account of ethical conflicts and ethical dilemmas, especially when they have to do with value. But also it can help us to understand how we, there are no easy answers, which is something that uh, a lot of the time many people claim. And uh, frequently, I think that they do so in a, in a bad manner. Mm. And it's good to start by fleshing out what value monism is and what value pluralism is. I agree. So I think we should start with some fundamental distinctions. And the fundamental distinction would be one between instrumental value and ultimate value. Mm. Uh, one good example that comes to mind is money. So we frequently claim that money is not the end of life, but it can be a very useful means for achieving further goals, mm. such as you know security and such as uh, the opportunity to raise a family and uh, also to have a good and prosperous society. Well, I mean, definitionally, the value of money comes from its utility for other things. Yes. Like, there's no point having a pile of money. You actually need to use that instrumentally in order to gain goods and services. Uh, and so that's yes. a great example, actually. I, I, I think it is because it's like an, it functions like an instrument. We can mm. use that instrument in order to achieve a further purpose. Mm. Uh, you could say an Aristotelian would say something like happiness or mm. whatever know, it eudaimonia, is. whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is. How he would flesh it out. Yeah. Now, another interesting thing to note is that there are several accounts with respect to value. Mm -hmm. So the major distinction is that between realism and anti-realism. And uh, we have other also views within the realist camp that are very different to each other. They differ significantly, like value obje objectivism, relativism, subjectivism. These are just three that comes to mind. Mm. Uh, let us just start with value realism and value anti-realism. So an anti-realist position about something is a position that basically denies it. So I would say that frequently we have the experience of, we do experience value. In our normal daily lives, we do experience things like ethical dilemmas. Mm -hmm. And we do think that there are some things that are of value, some others that are of negative value, you could say. Others, they're indifferent. But generally speaking, we do think that there is such a thing as value. It seems to be undeniable. Yes. I think that it is undeniable, but unfortunately, we do have people who deny it. Well, okay, of course we do. Yeah, because they, they have to make a... They have to give a picture that differs from others to make a name. Yeah. And it is interesting to see how they deny it, because the way they deny it, I think, is really telling of a kind of full-scale assault on the, the first person. Really? 
Yes, okay. which uh, isn't just located on our discussion today about mm. value. I think it is basically one of the scourges of contemporary life that we have all sorts of theories that in an ideological fashion, and they're not necessarily political theories. In fact, I have materialism in mind. Mm -hmm. I think that it is a... It is. It does function like an ideology. Maybe we'll disagree. Oh, on I, that. no, no, I agree with you completely on that. So, j j let, let me just because I don't know what the anti-realist theories are. What what is the counterargument? Because surely the only proof we need that there are things such as values is that we value things. Surely that is the only proof that would be required to satisfy that criteria. Okay. This is one way of viewing it, and right. this is one way of counter, um, countering mm -hmm. the anti-realist position. Yeah. But uh, this is much more uh, conducive to relativism or subjectivism. Right. So, they're not... Well, yes, I'm not saying that there are objective values embedded in the universe and something has intrinsic value. Gold is valuable because yeah. we impose value upon it. That's Fine. You could say this, yes. Yeah. And uh, the basic thing is that in philosophy and in thinking, we try to give an account of the human condition mm -hmm. and also of life. We try to understand the universe around us and our place within it. And um, there is such a propensity that people have to want very economical theories in explaining stuff. Mm. So for it's frequently called as Occam's razor, mm -hmm. when uh, we are told that we should constantly opt for the m most simple theory with the highest explanatory power. Mm. So frequently, when we have rival theories that try to explain a set of phenomena or a number of phenomena, um, according to that methodological principle, we should accept the theory that is committed to the fewer entities. Mm. Because, for instance, the materialist does not want to, to incorporate things like mind, form, or... Um, spirit. Spirit, things like that. Yeah. Or they want to give a materialistic account of it, which mm. implies ultimately that anything that we, uh, we frequently talk about when we refer to these notions, they want to say that we have a very mistaken view of them, and they are going to give a materialistic account of it that ultimately tries to explain each phenomena in terms of, you could say, matter in motion. Yeah, mechanistic. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And I think that basically this is a major problem in the last 400 years of thinking mm. because it completely contaminates the way we try to think about stuff mm -hmm. and that it, it's a, it's a, it creates a problem because... You could say that when we, tr when, when we dislike something and we want to reject it, we try to look at alternatives. But if the alternative is also contaminated hmm. by, by the thing we want to counter, then we don't really create an alternative. Yeah. So personally, if you ask me, I think that we need to completely reject this materialistic and mechanistic account of the human being that is uh, really popular in the last 400 years. Mm. And it does seem to contaminate culture because now, for instance, uh, uh, let, let, let us think of an example. Let's think of love. Mm. The first person experience 
tries to give a sort of transcendental nature to to love. I don't even think it's sort of. I think yes. I think that there is a kind of metaphysical um, body that yes. is attached to our concept of love. I don't, I don't yes. know how to, and and not just that, but our relationships themselves, like. All of morality seems to exist in the metaphysical realm that we can't describe purely mechanically. Yes. Because as soon as we try and describe these things mechanically, then the spirit of the thing is lost. And I think that actually all of morality, all of sentiments, all of these things are really spiritual experiences in some way. And to explain them mechanically fails to really understand them. And so there's a whole dimension of human experience that we all experience every day, all the time, when we're talking to our friends, our family, our loved ones, you know, when we're trying to romance a partner, whatever, yes. you know, we're trying to create a kind of magic that they buy into as well, and then yes. together you form this relationship that has a sort of magical essence to it. Yes. And everyone knows it, you know, if, if, you know, if your friend came in and said, oh, I just cheated on my girlfriend, you'd be like, how could you do that? You, you yeah. would treat the magical essence that existed between yes. him and his girlfriend as something he had done wrong. Mechanically, you'd be like, well, don't get caught. You know, like it wouldn't matter to you, but morally, you know that there's something there that's that's been damaged. And here is exactly where the anti-realist sentiment comes in, right? Because you could say that the kind of picture you described is one about you know it's a realist position with respect to love. Love is seen as something that is irreducibly irreducible. Hmm. You cannot really give an account of it. You can describe it, mm -hmm. but you cannot give an account to it that doesn't basically involve its own nature in its definition. The, the accounts of it will also be uh, narrow as well. No matter how much time you spend trying to describe this thing, it's got so many dimensions, there's so much to it. Yes. It's so complicated yes. that you, you would only be able to describe a, a, a thin band of it. Exactly. At best, yeah. And it's not the case for the anti-realist. The anti-realist would try to say, that, well, basically this is, this is a sort of feeling that you have and your brain is basically tricking you into believing, first of all, that there is a self that is enduring. Right, yeah. Yeah. We, we literally have people telling us that the self is an illusion. Mm -hmm. Well, question is who, is, who is deluded then? Yeah, who's telling us it's the illusion? Yeah, if yeah. there's no self, who is deluded then? Yeah. That's uh, one question. Yeah. But they're also trying to say that, well, this is a sort of feeling that you have that you're trying to sugarcoat it somehow. Right. You, you are creating a picture of it hmm. in order to present yourself as something other than an animal. And th this I is- I think this animals can feel love. Well, <laughs> maybe, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm I, think not, they can, I think they can, yeah. you know. Maybe, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I've uh, seen it. I've, you know, you've got pets. Yes. And particular people have a particular relationship with, yes. a, you know, a certain pet. Like my mum has a parrot, and this parrot just loves to sit on her shoulder and just yes. sort of nuzz her hair. Doesn't yes. it to my dad? Doesn't it to anyone yes, else? Yes. But it does it with my mum. Yeah. You know, and there, there's definitely some particular thing going on. No, that I, I think we could yeah. describe as love. Uh, no, I, I think you're right. Yeah. But they want to. They want to say that deep down, even in animals, this is a kind of affection. That, for instance, a dog. Yeah. is geared to want affection. So oh. the dog is acting in a way that um, other people, realists mm. about love, uh, try to interpret as it being a sort of love. Mm -hmm. But it's actually a brute nature, brute, uh, brute animalistic nature in force. But, uh, and that, that, that there, there is no love there. There is only 
chemical biological exactly. urge, yeah. urge. Yeah. yeah, and that the feelings that we have when yeah. we, uh, let's say, uh, when we encounter our loved ones, that yeah. they are basically chemicals in the brain. Yeah, the, and this there there is a way of looking at the world that, in in a sense, that's not wrong, right? In a sense, technically, yes, we are all chemicals and we're all acting in a universe. But there are, I guess, what I would call states of affairs that are brought into being through the actions of these chemicals that, it, that are not themselves chemical. Okay. Um, so, uh, I mean, a relationship is a good example, actually. Um, I don't have to be a part of someone else's relationship to recognize the existence of the relationship. Uh, to know, and, and the fact that I can define the relationship means it must have some substance somewhere or else how can we all recognize the thing for what it is? You know, like, you, you don't need to, see, to know the, the material conditions of a couple walking down the street to know that they've been married for a long time, right? Yes. You can just, you know, you can, you, you, you can tell about someone. So th there is something there that exists that is not material, and we all accept this, right? We, we all know, and you, everyone knows, that, and there's layers and layers of propriety there's a huge amount of morality attached to this uh, you know and this is deeply important to those people living through this metaphysical reality yeah. right so i'm i'm very much on the side of there are metaphysics even if they are created by humans that's good enough for me yes you know i don't mind if that's the origin of them i mean a lot of religious people will say well god creates it. okay fine. Well, I, I don't care about the origin they definitely exist um, and I'm happy that they exist, and I think that it's uh, kind of, um, the, the thing I want to know is why do you want that to not be the case? Right? What are you trying to achieve by trying to tear down the concept of the sacred and the profane and all of these things, you know? Uh, uh, this is a question that I'm, I'm also asking myself, because the main, the, the main motivation that is being cited mm. is that you don't need to appeal to metaphysical entities in order to explain phenomena. And right. we constantly have people who, const who they say always, well, I don't want to be deluded, I place truth above all else, and I am trying to basically uh, have the most economic theory with the greatest explanatory power, mm -hmm. and I don't want to be spooked. So the, the problem with that is that there are, there are circumstances that defy the mechanistic um, demands that they the mechanistic explanations for example if you're say 25 years old you became a father at 20 so your five-year-old son is walking next to you and you see a car hurtling towards you and you push him out of the way and you get hit by the car and you die uh mechanistically you've got no reason to do that yeah you say well i'll just have another son i've got plenty of time i can just have another son but of course no Father in their right mind is going to be like, yes. well, I'll, I'll, I'll let my son die and I won't sacrifice myself. It'll be the opposite. I think, again, they would say that even if you did that, it would be explicable in mechanistic terms. And, um, but the, the mechanistic explanation will be something Darwinian. They'll say, well, yes. you know that your genes will pass on. It's like, sure, but why would I want to die to know that? Uh, and, you know, I don't know that, you know, my son could get hit by another car five minutes later and there's nothing I could do about it. I don't know that. Um, and also, if I didn't sacrifice myself, I could have two children or five children yeah. or a hundred children. So it's actually, 
the Darwinian explanation would be on the side of not sacrificing yourself for your children. Yes. I mean, in, I think that these are endless conversations. Yeah. I'm trying to lay out in principle hmm. the kinds of objections that people Sorry, yeah, would I kind of jumped the gun a bit. But no, no, no. I, no. I, but I, I, I really do hate this kind of uh, materialist view of the universe. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it brings us to sort of what C.S. Lewis was saying about mere nature. You know, the, the, these are the people who, to, who, who use nature as a thing to be conquered. You know, oh, well, we need to overcome the mechanistic. It's like, well, hang on a second. What if there's something generated by the mechanisms that you can't see, you can't touch, but you live through all day, every day, and you can't do without, actually? Yeah. Uh, relationships, I think, are the perfect example of that. You need your relationships. And everyone's relationship is totally unique between them and whatever it is they have a relationship with. No one has a relationship like yours, and they're always always different. And so I'm, I'm very, very much against the materialist worldview these days, and I get a lot of Christians going, ah, 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 and it's like, calm down. But they are wrong. The, the, this is a, a really fascinating topic, but w yeah. we could definitely have uh, yeah, many yeah, discussions yeah. Uh, in, ab about it in the future. Mm. I'm more than happy to. But uh, I really want to show the, in principle, that any time that someone who says, well, there is true love, or there, there is true love in the realistic sense, mm. in the strong metaphysical sense, the irreducible one, mm. they would, they, there will be people who will say constantly, yeah, but it is all matter, and we don't need uh, to appeal to something else. Now, there are all sorts of issues with this worldview, as there are are issues with other worldviews as well. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be fair. But this is the kind of strategy that anti-realists are using. And when it comes to value, mm. they would say that you don't need to posit objective moral values in order to explain mm. why, for instance, we experience values. Mm. They could say that, for instance, no, no, you, you can actually experience what we say what we think is a moral the experience of a moral conflict. Mm. They could say that you can actually explain it in terms of you know, brain science, and you constantly don't need to appeal to properties like wrongness and rightness and uh, objective value. That's what the anti-realist would say. Yeah, it sounds like something that Satan would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, Shut again, up, there, there, maybe. But the, the, there is also the other pro the issue with malice that we shouldn't attribute to uh, wrongdoing to malice when we can attribute it to sometimes ignorance something. But well, hang on a I don't know what hang, I think about this. Hang on a second. So why would I need to abandon notions such as rightness and wrongness? Why would I need to do that? What what would be the gain for that? What would be the point of that? And the only the, the 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 cover for oh, I just want the truth. It's like well, there there's there are ethical truths, and you're trying to abolish the very notion of them. So I don't know if I agree that you're actually trying for truth. Uh, what you are though doing is trying to make good and evil seem as equals, put them on the level playing field, which they're not. I think or as illusions. Yeah, exactly. Well, as you make them both illusions, and they're both the same. So I've got no reason to preference yes. one over the other. Now, whereas there are tangible physical and moral consequences for being good and for being evil. And so why would I even countenance this line of argument? Yeah. Like not, not only is it obviously wrong, there are obviously things that are non-material that are 
things that exist in the world and things that we value. But what would be the what would be the motivation for a person to do that? And it's just deconstructivist. Like it's it's trying to remove something that actually is valuable, we do use, and is something that we want to maintain within the world. Yes, and uh, I think that there are many motivations behind this. There are mm. people who want to who find these theories as being incredibly helpful in subverting the institutions yeah. or in basically becoming famous. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is yeah. such a thing. But there is also what I think is to an extent tragic because it doesn't necessarily have to do with malice, but I think it has to do a lot with conceit. Right. And here is where the social engineer comes in, mm -hmm. the picture. Uh, there's a structural structural parallel that it's just you you can't we cannot ignore it. That ju just like we have the metaphysician who is let's say, or the anti-metaphysician who wants to create a theory and wants to understand the universe above all else and says, my one and only one value, fundamentally speaking, is understanding the universe. And I will just let nothing else to come into the picture. My one and only one value is to understand the universe. It's mm. just this kind of detached knowledge. Yes. Uh, and they want to, they are going to say, well, no, I'll stick into my room. I won't uh, have any social relations or I won't care that much. All I want to do, every other value is instrumental for mm. my understanding the universe. And the universe can be understood in terms of an economic theory that it makes it also easy for me to tell everyone else is deluded mm. because it's economical. And it denies a lot of what we in the first person accept mm. or in the ordinary common sense perspective of the universe. And I think that this leads to a kind of social engineering attitude because we have people who, will, who also want to think this way and they have a theory. And if it conflicts with the facts, so worse for the facts. Yeah. And they do, and the, the people I have in mind, the, let's say, metaphysicians who want to completely dis destroy and reject the common sense view of, our, of the universe, mm -hmm. they are very frequently trying to tell us that, there is, that we are completely radically deluded. Mm. They know better. If we're radically de deluded and they know better, well, they know better how society is to be run. Mm -hmm. So there is nothing, nothing that shouldn't be you, uh, that shouldn't be under their control. So there's, there's a lot to this that I think is really, really interesting. Yes. Um, the first thing is the, the desire to have a kind of objective, non-human view of the universe is obviously preposterous yes. because I'm talking to a human being. Right? The person who espouses this is a human. And so while they may want to have, and what, what they're essentially aiming for is to be the mind of God, that's what they're asking to be. They say, look, if only I can understand objectively without shorn of the trappings of being trapped in a human body, what the universe itself and everything in it is, then you're asking to be God, which obviously you can't be. You are trapped in a, very, in a time and a place in a body with particular senses that tell you about the universe, and therefore everything is filtered through this subjective first-person lens. Right? So before we begin, your mission is impossible. And you can't do it, right? 
So the, 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 this, the second thing is, why do you think that's a good idea? Like, what would, what would you as a human being gain? And the answer is, well, not much. And actually, you stand to lose a lot, like we were talking about. And the thing, then you go, why, if, if you've got an impossible mission, and actually you're going to destroy all of the good things about being a human that we work so hard to maintain, isn't that really unreasonable? <laughs> like, isn't it, isn't it a lot more reasonable to begin from a position of, I am a human, I have limited capacities, I experience the world as other humans experience it. Like suddenly, you know, ground yourself in your own body rather than trying to expand yourself to fill the universe. And actually, you're going to have a lot more of a, if nothing else, a practical, more practical success in whatever it is you're doing. But then also, because you're grounded in yourself as a human being, one, you haven't automatically stigmatized being a human as the barrier to understanding the universe. Right? You can say, well, the best I can do is understand the universe as a human, which is totally reasonable. No one could object to that. No one yeah. reasonable, anyone could object to that. And that means that you can engage with those things that human beings engage with literally all day, every day, that are not necessarily mechanical, but certainly are the real substance of human existence. I want to introduce an element into this discussion. So before we go on, there was actually more to this that I wanted yeah. to add on, because then you, you were saying about the social engineers. Again, C.S. Lewis seems to have presaged this entire conversation because his, his view on this is fascinating. Because So we've got this deluded group of social engineers who think, actually, no, we are the universal men. We are outside of time and space and the particularity of the human body, and we're going to engineer society. Yeah. But where would someone like that find a value set? Right? What, in what way would you engineer society? And the only answer is mechanistically. So it can only end up being utilitarian. So it can only end up degrading things. Because to be against the value of pain and suffering is actually to be against hard work. It's to be against achievement. It's to be against self-sacrifice. It's to be against um, labor, really. The, 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 and the, the consequences of these things that change you as a human. But if you're outside of the universe, well, how can you have flaws? You know, if you if you're out, if you're literally outside, you're in, outside of time and space, and you always exist in a never-ending eternal realm, then you've got nothing to say to the human, and you don't understand the human perspective. And so these people, they would say, well, okay, we're going to engineer humanity in a certain way, but they can't explain how they would come to the values they would impose on future generations of humans. Yes, and this means that essentially all they're left with are the unspoken presuppositions that they, as humans, which they are, deluding themselves into thinking that they're universal men, have inherited from nature. And so C.S. Lewis calls this sort of nature's final revenge over man, because man thought, oh, I'm conquering nature, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm creating paracetamol, and I'm creating me medicines, I'm me mechanical things, and I'm, you know, I'm going to craft the universe. And it ends with the social planner crafting a man who can't even see himself as a man using the primordial values that nature put into him because he can't construct any new ones of his own. I want to introduce a, a tragic feature. I think that is tragic. In, <laughs> yes, in the conversation, because yeah. this is essentially where what we are going to be discussing, value monism mm. and value pluralism. And one of the main motivations for value monism is precisely what you described. Mm. It's the kind of utopian sentiment. Yeah. Now. I have some 
it's easy to say, okay, utopians are are stupid, and to a degree that this is right. But I want it. I wouldn't say stupid. I would say deluded. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt hmm. and try and understand why someone may be attracted to utopianism, because I think that if we give people we disagree with the hmm. benefit of the doubt, we can gain a better understanding of where they come from and we could possibly find better ways of talking to each other mm -hmm. but also understanding the kinds of threats we are faced with so the 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 social engineer would say something of the following uh yes i do try to be a universal man and even if there are limitations imposed to me by let's say my particular nature it is still a worthy project because every other system that has kept um, that that has been adopted by human beings hasn't led to let's say reduction of conflict or the improvement of hmm. of uh, our lives. We are still left with a kind of uh, we are still left with a human you know suffering view that w we haven't really progressed. So th what they are going to say yeah, is yeah, that yeah. well. What is the and I may this may sound like a villain from a dystopian novel, mm -hmm. but this is what makes them interesting. Oh, that, and we are we are under their thumb, yes. Yes, that ultimately, what is, I mean, why should we accept a more tragic view if that more tragic view locks us into suffering? If if there is if if there is any chance we are going to exit mm. suffering. It's going to be by trying to exit it, not so, by accepting it and having the moral systems that actually perpetuate suffering. So th this, I find this fascinating because to try and escape suffering is probably the lowest of animalistic values. It is literally any, anything with a nervous system, millions of years old. The, you know, a slime, a slime wandering around on the bottom of the ocean before life has arrived on the land tries to escape suffering. It is, it is the, the lowest of values, the lowest possible value. And so this person who, said, who thinks to themselves, well, I'm trying to escape uh, and, and achieve like the highest value, and their highest value is merely the elimination of suffering. Like that is, that's a really, really low basic value. That required no thought to come to, but almost every living thing that has ever lived has always naturally tried to attain, and required no brain power on your part. So, and that and that's utopia, is it? Where we just don't feel any pain. That's 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 hilariously uh, that uh, to me that hilariously undermines their thesis that oh we're we're such smart and clever and universal men. No, you're totally parochial. You're you're the, the you're you're a slime on the bottom of the ocean that's just trying to avoid. You know the sulfur vent or whatever it is. You know, um, they, they, and also this kind of uh, mechanistic value anti-realist. Oh, I don't that metaphysics and that. Uh, no, you, you're showing your values right there, right? You want everything to be reduced to the state of lowest common denominator. You you are expressing your values because you can say, well, I want a world without suffering. It's like, no, I want suffering. I'm pro-suffering. I actively value suffering you know now what what can we say to each other so it depends what we count as suffering 
And this was also wow. the theme of previous symposium that I did it with is. Rory on Schopenhauer. Yeah. Because there is such a thing as a very, let's say, extended view of what suffering mm -hmm. is. That a concept that basically so involves suffering like, okay, you were rejected by a, a girlfriend. Yep. Boo-hoo. No, you suffer. but that's suffering. That's, uh, it is, you but were it, misgendered. That's suffering. Yeah, but I, I, that's I, excessive. I agree with you. I, I totally mean, the kind of suffering I have in mind is 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 much more tragic. It's the yeah. kind of you know just imagine the life of uh, people who were uh, basically uh, slaves of uh, people uh, of other people in fleets, and they yeah, yeah, yeah. they were dying in uh, in a naval battle yeah, because they were rowing, and yeah. know, they had the horrified yeah. death. Yeah, and or others who were tortured by the Assyrians. Yeah, like the, you know, the that's in, suffering. It's yeah. not having a girlfriend, I, I, a, a woman say no to you. I totally agree, but the the underlying continuum where it's being rejected by a girl to burning to death in a Roman fleet fighting the Carthaginians or something, yeah. where you can't escape and you can't you're chained to the oars or whatever, right? Burning to death on that 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 continuum of awfulness is still the continuum of suffering, right? And so the, the value monist can only see the continuum of suffering and can't mm. place any value higher than that. And so, whereas I am with you on this one, like, obviously, like, the, 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 the continuum of... I mean, it's probably not even a straight line. It's probably like that, right? Yeah. Where, or, you know, or some strange squiggly line. And there are other values that intersect over this. And you can say, yes. okay... It is, it is uh, not pleasant to be rejected by a girl. Yes, but it's course. also not pleasant to remain an adolescent for your whole life. Yes, and if you want to be a man, you have to get rejected by a girl at some point. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at LotusEaters.com.